It's good to be here, and I want to encourage those who are watching online, and uh, glad that you're here to join with us as we continue on God's Word, and as we look at the book of Philippians. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing. Father, as we come before you this morning, may we be encouraged in Jesus Christ. May we be challenged in our relationship with you. Lord, as we examine your faithfulness and our responsibility, Lord, may we be challenged to demonstrate Christ-likeness in our week this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we naturally complain, don't we? It, it just, it comes naturally. I uh, came across a story, a man who wanted to become a monk, so he went to a monastery and he talked to the, talked to the head monk. And the head monk said, now, uh, one of the things about this monastery is you have a, view, a uh, vow of silence. And you're allowed to say two words every three years. The man agreed. So after the first three years, it came time for his two words, and he said, food cold. Well, three more years went by, and the head monk said, all right, you have two words. And he said, bed hard. Three more years went by, and uh, came time for the man's three words, and he said, I quit. Well, the head monk replied, he said, I'm not surprised. You have done nothing but complain ever since you got here. <laughs> now, complaining. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14, it says that we're not to complain or argue. And we look at that verse and, and we take it, but there's so much more that Paul is packing around that verse. And it's going to be what comes out of what takes place in verses 12 and 13. In fact, in, in verses 12 through 16, we see our responsibility as well as God's supply. And in that, how our life should look. What are we to do and what results will occur when we allow God to work in us and we live out godly lives. Follow along as I read, beginning in Philippians 2, verse 12. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Now we see in this passage, specifically in verses 12 and 13, there's a balance between two dangerous extremes. One extreme says, it's all on me. And the other extreme says that I can just sit back and let God work. Now, 
That second one sounds right. And bear with as we unpack it to understand what it means to let go and let God. Which we say, well, the Bible tells us we need to let go and let God. Well, what does that look like? And what is our responsibility as well as what is God's supply? First of all, our responsibility in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only or not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So Paul begins this section with a commendation and a challenge. First of all, a commendation. Uh, you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Paul speaking to them. He had been there. He had been involved in the starting of this church in Philippi, but now he wasn't there. As we know, he was in prison. But he was hearing what was taking place. And it was good news. While he was there, he saw the people growing in their faith and he was encouraged in that. But now as he was getting the word back of what was happening when he wasn't there, he was even more encouraged about their obedience. And just a little side trail here, it's a good reminder to us, even though it's not the main focus of, of his principle here, but it's a reminder to us, how do we do when no one is watching? You can... Uh, Think about in the workplace, the, uh, the statistics as far as how much more work is done when the boss is there rather than when they're absent, the, the difference is astounding. Or maybe you're a young person and, and when your parents are there, you're acting a little differently than when they're not or when you don't think they're watching. Paul was encouraged. Now, obviously it wasn't about Paul and he wasn't their boss, but to hear that even when he wasn't there encouraging them and challenging them, that he could hear that they were still doing well and they were focused on obedience. And that obedience, that they were listening. Listening isn't just hearing. Remember as a young person, you would hear your mom and dad talking. At least you'd see their mouth moving. But it didn't affect what you did. Then they maybe had to give some more encouragement to, uh, to fulfill what they're asking you to do, right? And so Paul was encouraged in hearing their obedience to God. But then we come to this part of verse 12 that has been misinterpreted, misunderstood. It says, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And you say, work out my salvation. Does that mean I work in order to be saved? It sounds like it, doesn't it? What does it mean to work out our salvation? Unfortunately, this has been misinterpreted in saying that we work to obtain our salvation or work for your salvation. But that's not what it's saying. It literally means to carry to its ultimate conclusion. And, and the phrase uh, was used in working in a mine or working in a field that you get out what was already there. The miner would work out the mine. They would take that 
the materials that were in the ground and bring them out. And that's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about what God is doing in you, have that come out. And we use the term sanctification. Now bear with me for just a few minutes here. We're going we're to look at some uh, theology terms. And our salvation, our relationship with Jesus Christ, has three parts. The first part is justification. Justification takes place when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we oftentimes use a simple definition of justification. You may have heard this, just as if I never sinned. So what is justification? Justification takes place when I pray and ask Jesus Christ to forgive my sins and to be my Savior. Jesus Christ has done all the work. Jesus Christ is the one who has paid the price. And so we are justified. It's not by anything we do. In our works, we can't make the grade. We are sinful people. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are sinners who cannot earn our salvation. And justification is the work of God in us. We are justified because of Jesus Christ, not because of us. In fact, we're justified in spite of us. We are sinners. But then the second part of salvation we call sanctification. Again, another big term. If you're not too familiar with it, don't be alarmed. It, it means literally to be set apart. And there, there's two aspects of sanctification. We are set apart to eternity with God. Again, through the work of Jesus Christ. But we, we say we are practically sanctified as we become more like Jesus Christ each and every day. And we have a responsibility to be more like Christ throughout our life. We are still sinful people. We are imperfect. We struggle with sin each and every day, but we are to be more like Christ. That is our responsibility. And so to work out our salvation does not mean we work for it. It means what's taken place in our life should be reflected in the way that we live. We work it out. Now, oftentimes we think the Christian life is up and down. You know, I had a great week this week. I, uh, you know, at work there was a pressure situation and I responded in a godly way. My spouse this week was, you know, they had done something that I could have blown up, but I didn't. I had a great week. Well, next week it's like, oh boy. <laughs> and actually it could be next day, next minute, next moment, right? Up and down and up and down. And we think that's the normal Christian life. Well, that may be the average Christian life, but it's not what should be the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is to be an in and out. 
I know some of you are getting hungry. We're not talking about the burger stand, In-N-Out Burger. We're talking about in and out in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It means what God is doing in us needs to be demonstrated in our character as we live out that relationship with God. Sanctification, being more like Jesus Christ, demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. As God's Holy Spirit works in us, we are to live differently. And we have a responsibility to live differently. Now, we need to understand, Paul is speaking to a group that are followers of Christ. Chapter 1, verse 1, at the beginning of the letter, Paul says that Paul is writing to the saints in Philippi, the followers of Christ in Philippi. So it's not working for our salvation, because we will never meet God's standard, but it's because of our salvation, because of our justification, we live differently. Now the third part of salvation is called glorification, and that's when we will be in heaven with God for eternity, and we will be like Christ. We will have a glorified body, and we will live eternally without suffering, pain, or sin. So we're to work out our salvation, our responsibility. But it says, with fear and trembling. And again, just like the first part, what does it mean to work out your salvation? The idea of fear and trembling. We, we get a picture of God being in Josh McDowell. We call God is no cosmic killjoy. You know, sitting up there waiting for us to make a mistake and then, bam, He's going to smash us down. Now, God disciplines us. Hebrews chapter 12 says that whom He loved disciplines like a loving parent disciplines a child. So what does it mean that, that we do it in fear and trembling? We recognize the holiness and justice of God, His purity in comparison to our frailty, our weakness, our sinfulness, to recognize who He is and who we are. Which leads us into verse 13, God's supply. Verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. This is where the little phrase, let go and let God. We need to recognize that on our own, we will fail. And my responsibility is to let God work in me. And as God is working in me, it's going to flow out. The fruit of the Spirit is going to come or become evident to those around me as I live and allow God to be in control. And it says that, that uh, He works in us both to will and to do, both the desire and the energy or the power to do His will. But God gives us the ability to say, you know what, today, God, I'm not going to let you shine through me. But we must recognize that we must allow Him 
to work through us as we submit and we obey. Again, it's not to be a series of ups and downs. It's to be an in and out. 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter describes this, our responsibility, God's supply principle. In beginning in verse 3 of 1 Peter 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are justified, we are saved through the work of Jesus Christ. Verse 4 goes on, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So God has done the work, and one day we will be glorified, and we have this, this inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled. It cannot be taken away. Why? Because of the power of God through faith. But it doesn't stop there. In verse 6, it goes on, in this... All those things that we have in Christ, we greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Saying, listen, because of what we have in Christ, we're to live differently as we allow His power to work in us and through us. And we can rejoice. And he talks about even in those persecutions and those people in Philippi were recognizing the persecution and their light would shine brighter. In the next couple verses, we're going to see how our light shines. But it will be very bright as we live godly lives when it's difficult to live godly lives. When do you make the greatest impact in your workplace? When you are being unfairly treated, but yet you still respond correctly. How do you shine the brightest in your marriage when your spouse is having the bad day, but yet you respond with grace? How do you shine the brightest in school? When you do what's right, even when it would be easier to do what's wrong. We're called to live differently. We can only do it as we allow God's Holy Spirit to work through us. So then he goes on in verses 14 through 16 and he shares the result. What is this result? And and you may read this and say, you know, there is a lot of things that he could put in here. You know, when, when we work out our salvation, again, taking it, what's in there, and letting it be evident outside. When we do that inside out, and it's God who works in us, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so we're seeing God's power working through us. So what does that look like? And what does he say? It says that we won't grumble or argue. Why did he choose that as the example 
of what it looks like when we're letting God work through us, in us and through us. I mean, there's a lot of things he could say. You know, he could say, you help the poor, which, by the way, we're called to do. He could say, you give generously, which we're called to do. He could say, you memorize your Bible. We're to meditate on on God's Word. He could say that you are the great husband or wife, the husband or wife of the year. Good things. He says, don't grumble or argue. Look what he says in verses 14 and 15. Do all things without complaining and disputing or grumbling and arguing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Why did he choose that as what it looks like when we are living a godly life and the fruit of the Spirit's evident in our lives? Well, think about what he's been, what he's been talking about, what we've been covering over the last couple of weeks in the first verses of chapter 2 of Philippians. What is our goal, our responsibility, verses 1 through 4? Unity. Unity provided as we humbly serve one another. Verses 1 through 4. Remember 4, putting the needs of others before our own. Don't think only on our own things, but also on the things of others. Remember the, the church at Philippi were doing a lot of things very well, but they were struggling with, with dissension within the church as well as false teachers that were coming in. But, but within their own ranks, there were arguments and, and struggles and disputes. And Paul is laying it out. Listen, as you allow the Holy Spirit to work in you, it's going to be demonstrated by an attitude that's not complaining or arguing, but rather unifying and humbly putting one another or putting others before yourself. So as we allow God to work in us, that godliness will come out in the fruit of the Spirit. Now, think about the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. It's listed in Galatians chapter 5. There's, there's nine different characteristics that, that are listed Verses 22 and 23 of Galatians 5, it says this, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now think about how those contrast grumbling and arguing. And, and we won't go through all nine. You can do that, but but it's pretty obvious. Love. Okay. When I am living out love, am I busy grumbling and arguing? No. How about joy? When I allow God's peace to be evident in my life, am I going to be a grumbler? I don't think so. And so we don't grumble or argue. 
And then he just continues on what that looks like. Okay, yeah, I'm not grumbling, I'm not arguing, and when I do that, I am blameless and harmless, and I shine as a light in a wicked and perverse generation. Hmm. Blameless, I understand that. They can't say it. It's your fault. So... Here we are, there's a church conflict or a marriage conflict or a family conflict, a work conflict, whatever my relationship I'm dealing with at that time and, and things are going the wrong direction but they look and say, well, John wasn't the instigator of that. Blameless, and, but harmless. What does he mean by that? Actually, it means hornless. In, in the Greek, it has the idea of being without horns. You say, okay, that is just strange. But what's it saying? It's saying, you know, think of animals. Why do they use their horns? And I'll use this illustration, and I will lose all the hunters for the, for the rest of the morning. But, uh, you know, those two big bull elk. They're using their horns to show their superiority, to, to be dominant, to, to protect their herd, to get rid of that other bull, get him out of there. Well, we're to do the opposite. We're to be encouraging the other one. We're, we're not to be causing harm, but we're to be promoting unity. And then he continues, and he's just building and building. Okay, so I don't grumble, I don't argue, and that helps me to be blameless and harmless. And that allows my light to shine in a wicked and perverse generation. And, and if you look in it, it's, it's saying, we have a light. The question is, how bright is it shining? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a light. Remember the, the old children's song, if you grew up in Sunday school, this is the light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I have the light. The question is, am I letting it shine? And unfortunately, a lot of times in our Christian walk, we are like a very dim bulb. We're not having much of an impact on the world around us. But God challenges us to let it shine brightly so that the world around will see us. And, and, and I love the way he pictures it as in a wicked and perverse generation. I don't know, I, I, I have a feeling you probably do know uh, that we live in a wicked world. If you don't, just uh, look at any news site on the internet or read the newspaper or watch the nightly news, whatever. You'll see we live in a wicked and perverse generation. But how do we make a difference? Verse 12, 
work out our salvation. Verse 13, let God do and work in us for his good pleasure so that we live lives that aren't demonstrated by arguing and grumbling, but rather that we are blameless and harmless in the midst of that. And that is what is going to cause us to shine brightly. We're called to live differently. What do we want to do? (laughs) I'm going to get my horns out. I'm going after them. Guess what God says? Love them. It's hard to do, isn't it? But you don't, they deserve. It's not what they deserve. You see, it's about my relationship with God, not my relationship with them. Let's go back to the marriage example. How I respond to my wife should not be dependent on how she acts towards me. How I respond to my wife and how I act towards my wife is dependent upon how I'm shining God's love as he is working in me, the in and out. So I need to love her. I need to demonstrate joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, uh, self-control, faithfulness. I should have gone in order because now I missed a couple, but you get the idea. I live those things out toward her irregardless of how she's acting towards me. Now it's easier when she's acting the fruit of the Spirit toward me but it shouldn't be dependent upon whether she is or not on how I act. So we get to verse 16. And verse 16 tells us to hold fast. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Paul could rejoice as he watched them demonstrate godliness as they allowed God to work as they desire and have the energy to do his will for God's glory Paul could rejoice that they were having an impact on their community and they were living in unity as a church as they were striving together to grow in their relationship with God and to serve the community where they lived and to share the love of God he could rejoice in hearing the in and out that was taking place in their lives as they held fast the word of life. Now a couple parts to that. To hold fast the word of life, they stood for truth. Graciously, but they stood for truth. And they lived in obedience. And then, Paul could rejoice in saying, God's working in them, God's working through them, and they're making a difference in their world.
But just like those people in Philippi, God desires to work in and through each one of us who are his followers. We work out our salvation. What God has put in us through forgiveness and the Holy Spirit that's promised every follower of Christ, as we live that out, we make a difference in the world in which we live. Think of, in the Old Testament, the story of Daniel. And actually his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you can go through a lot of these different things found in verses 12 through 16 of Philippians chapter 2 and how they lived that out. They were taken from their land, their homes, to the land of Babylon, the nation that had conquered them. Boy, wouldn't it have been easy for him just sort of to disappear into the society of Babylon and, and sort of went in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do? You've heard that statement, haven't you? Something similar to it anyway. But instead, they stood fast. Daniel chapter 1, Babylonian food was brought before them, but they said, you know, as followers, as Israelites... They had a diet they were to follow as part of their obedience. And they said, we're going to honor God in, in following his laws for us. No matter if it would have cost them their lives, they were willing to stand fast. And, and you go through the next chapters and you see the faithfulness. And, and in chapter 6, we have probably the most familiar story about Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. As if you were, again, growing up in Sunday school, you, you've probably heard this story many times. But it was amazing the grace that Daniel displayed and the characteristics that he demonstrated. And I find it fascinating, the only way that those people that hated him, that wanted to get rid of him, the only way they could trip him up was in his faithfulness to God. Would we have that same, uh, if somebody's trying to trip us up and they say, so how am I going to trip him up? Well, maybe give this temptation or that temptation they knew that the only way they could trip up Daniel was to get the king to make a really dumb decree that no one could worship anyone but the king, which was completely ungodly. But what did Daniel do? He responded with grace. He still honored the king that foolishly put Daniel in the predicament that he was and he trusted God and you'll see Daniel worked that we know for four different ungodly kings and for different ungodly kings and for each one of them we see that Daniel impacted them as he demonstrated light as they saw that he was different. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Cyrus, Darius or Darius, 
four ungodly kings who saw a godly man. Daniel made a difference. Why? Because it was inside out. God was working in, in, in him and it reflected out. We're called to work out our salvation. Not work for our salvation, but because of what Jesus Christ had done and because of God's power, we can live differently. It will be reflected in our church. It will be reflected in our families. It will be reflected in our workplace. It will be reflected in all of our relationships as we let God work in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. We pray that you would... Uh, be with us as we strive to be more like Jesus Christ. As we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, recognizing who you are and that we must rely on your power to live differently. But Lord, let us allow you to work in us and through us. Lord, may we be known as people who aren't complainers or argumentative, but rather as we show and share your grace while standing fast. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.